Hi, my name is Eddie, and you're listening to the Kuyanet Podcast, where we discuss the Bible, mission, theology, and world Christianity. Don't forget to subscribe if you don't want to miss any future episodes. Welcome. Hello, welcome. Today I'm talking to the Reverend Joseph Ola. Um, Joseph's Amazon biography describes him as a writer, a blogger, a youth mentor, a podcast host, and minister. And since entering the ministry in 2012, he served churches and ministries in Nigeria, the United States, and the UK. He holds two master's degrees, one in biblical and pastoral theology, and another in African Christianity from Liverpool Hope University. He's an alumnus of the London Pioneer School with CMS Oxford, and he holds a certificate in pastoral ministry from Life Church College Bradford, a BA in microbiology from a university in Nigeria, and he founded a live mentorship group in 2015, which is an online mentoring platform for teenagers and young adults, and has a growing global outreach to thousands of young people. In addition to all that, in his spare time, um, he is the pastor of Apostolic Church Liverpool. Joseph, welcome. I don't know how you managed to fit all of that in and still stay so young. I know, right? Um, I, I think of it sometimes, like, how many things am I doing? But yeah, it's a privilege and a honor, Hedy, to, to have this conversation with you. And yeah, I look forward to having a nice time together. Yeah, well, I, I first came across you in a Monsieur Africanus um, theological roundtable presentation yeah. that you gave on your research into uh, young people in African Christianity. And that's what I'd like to talk about. Um, I'll give a link to uh, Monsieur Africanus in the uh, notes for this. But um, before we get into that, could you just tell us a bit about yourself, uh, your background, your family? All right. Um, in addition to all the things that you said before, <laughs> um, I, I was born in Nigeria um, in, in an ancient city called Ilife in southwestern Nigeria. Um, that's the city where all Yorubas, Yoruba is one of the ethnic um, yeah. major ethnic tribes in Nigeria, that's where all Yorubas are supposed to have originated from um, historically. Um, I lived there till my young adult life, schooled up till my first degree there. Mm -hmm. I was born into a Christian home. My parents are church leaders in their own mm -hmm. right. Um, and both of them are retired educators. My dad retired as a college principal and my mom retired as a primary school ed teacher. Um, so I grew up in that kind of family setting where education was like forefront. Um, my parents were very intentional about giving us good education, but at the same time, handing down over to us the Christian faith that they've so much cherished. Um, and that has kind of shaped my journey um, um, up until this moment, literally. After my first degree in 2010, there is um, this compulsory one-year service that we do in Nigeria. Every person after graduation, you are supposed to serve the nation for one year. Um, I served in the northern part of the country at that period, and I was beginning to ask God, what do you want to do with my life uh, going forward? And it was clear to me afterwards that I should go into pastoral ministry, and that's why I found myself in pastoral ministry as far back as 2012. 
or as recently as 2010, depending on who is listening. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, for me, that's quite recent. Really yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, since then till now, it's been a very exciting journey from doing that to coming to the UK in 2015 for a Bible college and staying on to help a church plant till now. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's much about me. I'm married and I have two boys um, with my wife. Um, and yeah, we are. We are enjoying life together. <laughs> That's pretty much me in a nutshell. <laughs> how, how old are the boys? Um, the, uh, the, the oldest is four, but will be five in May. And the youngest is two, but will be three in May. Both of them were born in May, just a few days apart. In, oh, okay, in, so in the... both, both still at home. Yeah, both. Um, there's one in the reception, but the other okay. is still, still Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that year one officially in September. So, yeah. one thing that um, we we didn't talk about um, beforehand was that um, I'm quite excited that you you have a background in biology because I do too. Um, <laughs> that's I, I was a biologist before um, going to Bible college and then working in Bible translation. That's interesting. I, I love I love my foundation in microbiology. Um, I mean, I can't say that I still remember all the things I learned. <laughs> but i look back to those years and i still treasure them absolutely and i and it gives you a a continuing fascination and pleasure in god's creation i find absolutely absolutely anyway not your first degree or even your second your third degree was um, (laughs) at liverpool hope university and yeah. you did some research related to the way that millennial, millennial African Christians identify themselves. Could you just explain what that is? Well, what is a millennial, first of all? And then how do millennial African Christians consider themselves? Mm. That's, that's an interesting question. Of course, there is no unified or universally accepted definition of who a millennial is. Um, I from many American writers, um, they would define a millennial as someone that is born between 1980 and 2000. If you were born any time within that 20-year gap, you're supposedly a millennial. Um, But really, the way I use the word um, in my research, uh, it's more fluid than that. Um, Mm -hmm. I had to make allowance to include some people that were born in the early 21st century, so even up until like 2004-ish, okay. um, I an age range of 18 to 35, so some teenagers, some 20-somethings, yeah. and some 30-somethings, um, to capture that generation for which I'm, I'm part of that generation as well, anyways, um, that are more or less just referred to as young people in Africa today, yeah. um, which, as we've been hearing since I was young, are the future of tomorrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's, that's kind of the definition that I worked with um, in, in doing the research, yeah. And was your research amongst um, people in Africa or amongst the diaspora? Yes, um, I involved both. Actually, I had to zero in on the Nigerian um, yeah. millennial Christians, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, using that as a sort of a representative case study for all mm-hmm. of Africa. We know that, of course, there are so much, there's so much diversity in, in the whole continent to yeah. kind of use just one minute case study to represent the whole. 
But there is yet lots of transferable realities, I believe, um, in my findings and in the realities on the Nigerian continent mm -hmm. uh, that is also shared in very many places around Africa. Um, so yeah, I, I looked at Nigerian millennial Christians, but both those that are on the country, I mean, in the country now and those in the diaspora um, together, yeah. Yes, I think that's one of the things that um, people in the UK don't always grasp is just how mm. diverse Africa is. Um, 50 odd countries. But also Nigeria is the biggest country in sub-Saharan Africa by a long way. So yeah. it becomes a good sample. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Could you um, share some of the, the key results from your study? What, what were the things you discovered? Um, okay, to set out, uh, I mean, the, the question I was really asking um, in this research was more or less, how do young Christians of Nigerian heritage, how do they self-identify yeah. in light of Christian faith and their cultural heritage? And I wanted to know the implications of that um, identity question, so to speak. And, and lots of things kind of shaped that overlapping realities, both in my own life mm -hmm. and in my journey in ministry, um, that got me interested in that. I'm just laying that premise to, to, to before going into the findings. Oh, no. uh, yeah. Part of the things I've been engaged with, I've, I've actually been ministering to young, and when I say I'm ministering to young people, it's like ministering to my peers because I'm a young person myself. Yeah. Um, but I've been involved in that kind of ministry since 2005 when I gained admission into um University for my first degree. Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the years that I was doing that, I was also involved in the Christian fellowship in, in, in the university and started with various responsibilities at yeah. different um at my, in my final year, I was literally pastoring the fellowship. And this is a fellowship of over 400 um, student and I was just 19 years old. So I'd, as of that time, I'd been involved with doing things with young people. And then in 2015, I felt um, the leading to actually be more intentional into pouring into just a few handful yeah. uh, teenagers in my congregation in Lagos, Nigeria at the time. Um, and I thought the only, the best way I thought I could do that then was to create a WhatsApp group, gather all of them together and yeah. continue to reach out to them. But before I knew it, they were telling me, I have a friend that is interested in some of the things you are sharing with us. Can I bring him in? Can I bring her in? And that's how the community grew. And today it's over 3,000 uh, 3, member community. Wow. Um, in my interaction with all of these young people over the years and my own personal reflection of my journey, becoming a parent in a, in a, in a foreign land, mm -hmm. raising boys and all of that, I've, I've had to ask myself a lot of questions. Um, and my study in African Christianity actually then brought that front and center for me to begin to wrestle with some of those things, giving me the lens to see some things through and the language to articulate some of these things. Hence the research question. As per my findings, um, the major uh, realities that came from the research is how, to a very great extent, the cultural sense of our identity as African young people, if you will, we are losing touch of that. In fact, the younger the age, the higher the tendency that they will be out of touch with their cultural heritage and identity. Yeah. Uh, for those of us that are still like what I would call older millennials, um, those mm -hmm. 31 to 35 year olds um, currently, 
there is still a good grasp on some of these yeah. identity markers, things like language, um, how fluent are you in your mother tongue, in speaking and understanding your mother tongue. Um, when I ask questions like that in my research, I would see that those that are older would still say they are fluent in it. But then when you go down to the 18s to 20s and 23s, you find out that they, they, the percentage of those that are not able to speak their indigenous language fluently is much higher. Mm. Um, things like how, vers- how conversant are you with like um, proverbs, uh, which is yeah. again a core um, I- cultural identity marker yeah. for many African um, ethnicities. You find the same reality. Um, and when I then look at those in the diaspora, the challenge is even higher. And so mm. it's the, the, those that have been in the diaspora for a long time or were even born there, they find it more challenging to, for instance, be fluent in their indigenous language and things like that. Um, and so it's, that's one of the major um, um, findings, if you will. Yeah. Of course, there are many other questions that I was asking in the research to mm-hmm. kind of unpack why that is so or what is underlying those realities. Yeah. So for instance, I was also interested in finding out what factors were influencing their Christian mm-hmm. faith most. Um, and for that particular question, for instance, it's, it's the parents were the most influential factor. Okay. So, uh, but next to that, I would have expected to see like the pastor of my church, but that did not come until like fourth or fifth place. Next to parents are people that they are doing life together in their fellowships, in their yeah. Christian communities. And next to that are what they call Christian mentors, like someone that is discipling them or mm-hmm. the role of a mentor in their life. Before we then begin to find things like their congregational pastor and things okay. like that. So that's, that's another finding for me that was like, oh, okay. <laughs> could, could there be that um, there's a flag there as to what churches mm-hmm. are that would make it in a way that um, even their pastors don't command as much influence in their life as say, a mentor that they might not even exactly have had a physical contact with or people that they are just doing life together in a, in a setting where it's, which is more or less exclusively just young people yeah. within, doing life with fellow mm-hmm. young people, if you will. Um, so that was another kind of key um, finding. But I think the most, um, I mean, this is relative, but one of the most outstanding findings for me is the influence of Western thoughts yeah. in the fit development of these young people. Um, one of the questions I asked, for instance, had to do with the kind of books they are reading. Yeah. You know, what are your, like, what's the most influential book, a <laughs> Christian book that you've read? And the top 12 books, except for one, were all written by Westerners. Whoa. All, all of the, the, the way the questionnaire was constructed is such that when someone responds, mm-hmm. uh, and had some names to that list or some titles to that list, the next person coming to respond can see those titles as options and then still had more if he or she feels like other books that I want to add to this list. And so it's a self-developing kind of questionnaire. Um, But at the end of the day, it was clear that the the Westerners were dominating, if I could use that word, Mm -hmm. the influence space for these young people in terms of books, in terms of even movies that they're watching, in mm-hmm. terms of podcasts that they are listening to. Um, and those are the major sources of um, cultural shapers, if you, culture shapers in my own understanding for a yeah. young person. Um, the kind of multimedia mm-hmm. sources 
that are getting information across to them. And that space is heavily dominated by, by Western thoughts. Um, it's one of the other findings that I, I found like a major finding um, in the mm -hmm. research. Um, yeah, and there are so many other sub-layers of all these things that I could point to, but those would be some of the major key findings for me. That, that's fascinating. I wonder if we could just unpack some of those a little. Um, just with a rising generation who are, to some extent, not identifying as strongly as African, mm -hmm. what do you see the implications of this are for the future of the church? Mm. That's the implications are myriad, to, to be honest. Yeah. But start from two or three realities about the African continent now that then gives us a light into what these implications could look like. Mm -hmm. First, the fact that Africa is now the most Christian continent in the sense of yeah. the population of Christians. Um, there are more Christians in Africa than anywhere else in the world as of today. And that's not even occurring in the African diaspora. Um, and then, of course, the median age of Africa as a continent has been below 20 for over 70 years. Yeah. Uh, that's, those two realities in and of itself continue to point to, on the one hand, how religion or, I mean, in this case, Christianity yeah. would continue to be very, very significant on that space. Um, and of course, from there to the rest of the world. And then the place of the young people in that mm -hmm. by, by of how many young people on the continent. Um, those that are, I mean, over 70% of African population are people that are less than 30 years old. So that's, that's a huge, um, it shows a huge trajectory for the future as to what's potential locked up in, in this um, kind of findings, especially as per this research. And so in terms of implications, um, two things. I see a good news, bad news scenario in yeah. my findings if I could summarize the, the findings. The good news is the fact that there is still a lot of interest in religion, in Christianity, in this case, yeah. uh, amongst the millennials or mm -hmm. the Christian, I mean, the young people in Africa, as, as compared to, say, in the West, where there is this huge intentional, almost, or almost intentional um, disdain or not yeah. just wanting to have anything to do. With, mm -hmm. with religion. So that's the good news. But the bad news then is the fact that it's obvious that the cultural part of what it means to be an African and a Christian at the same time, that's been eroded. Mm -hmm. So I, I think from my findings, it's obvious that those that are older, the older millennials, the mm -hmm. 31 and above, um, they stand a higher chance of kind of ameliorating that trend if they will be intentional in mentoring the next generation coming after them, if they will be intentional in resourcing themselves with the kind of resources that would help them further to hone their cultural uh, identity heritage and allow that to shape the way they do Christianity. And then, of course, hand that over. And then, of course, influence how they parents their own children that are coming yeah raising or coming after them so that's the, there is that aspect of of the implication but by and large to the mission of god in in the world um mm -hmm. think that the 
continent of Africa, given this trajectory of continuous influx or growth of Christianity and Christian population on the continent, and the young people being a significant part of that, we hold a, a strategic place in influencing global Christianity. Absolutely. Um, but for that to be what it should be, for that to give all of the full colors of the beauty of, of this multicultural um, mosaic of God, so to speak, as per God's kingdom, it will be dependent on if those that are African Christians can actually make an African contribution to the mission of God, um, as opposed to just replicating what they've learned from some yeah. Western, from elsewhere. And so that's where I think the church has a lot of work to do. Um, there would be the need for an intergenerational uh, ministry model mm -hmm. that bring in these young people into leadership as, as quickly as possible under the oversight of the older generation, but so that we can rub minds on top of one another yeah. and learn together how to make this uniquely African contribution to the mm -hmm. mission of uh, rather than being just a resounding board for something from somewhere else um, yeah. in that, that sense. Yeah, I think those would be some of the things I would naturally point to as the implications. Yeah. Another thing that you, you mentioned was um, that the younger young people are, are less likely to speak their, their mother tongue, oh, their, the language of their family. Um, now, I work for a Bible translation organization, and I mm. hear that, and it um, it does give me it does worry me slightly. What what do you think are the implications for people like me who are working specifically in African languages? Yeah, um, on the one hand, I I think that one of the major things that led to this point yeah. is the way of say my own parents um, kind of celebrated anyone any of their children that can you know gain mastery of the English language mm -hmm. and even earlier in life to the point where when my generation are becoming parents it's become a norm to almost raise a family exclusively on the English la English okay. language of Nigeria an anglophone country mm -hmm. I would imagine the same is being is happening in some of the francophone countries. Yes, as it, well. it does. Yeah, French being being the mother, uh, being the lingua franca, so to speak. Mm -hmm. and so because of that, uh, for Bible translation, and first and foremost, let me just celebrate the work you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Believe <laughs> that um, for theology, in this case, African theology, to happen, in my opinion, African theology happens when African orality and the scriptures in indigenous language come together. Um, the, the African worldview is big on orality, on how we use yeah. speeches and things like that. And when we, have, when we can get the scriptures in our indigenous language and using the tools of our orality mm -hmm. with that, miracle happens in the world of theology um, and that's why many of many of the theologians as it were on the continent they are not necessarily academic theologians mm -hmm. but absolutely taking what they found from god's word articulating mm -hmm. that in their indigenous ways in songs in music in heart in movies and all mm -hmm. of that um, and so yeah it for the for a bible translation organization i would think of two things 
And the first would be to continue to translate into as many indigenous languages as possible. There are still many languages in Africa too oh, that are yet yeah. in their language. So we need, we need more of that. Give us more theological raw materials to theologize with. But on the other hand, would then also be the accessibility of those translations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was joking with my mentor, um, Dr. Avik Biyani, recently. Uh, I was telling him about the African Study Bible, which I yeah. came across with this research. I've never heard of the African Study Bible before. And it's, it's a very brilliant resource, which I enjoy. But I was joking with him that I actually came across that resource Surfing through an American theologian's website. Right. <laughs> it was an accidental discovery for me. Yeah. Um, I would have expected that such a resource would, you know, be publicized and, and, you know, marketed more in a way that the kind of people that need it would readily yeah. find it. Um, so the accessibility aspect of, of that work would also be something that I would... Mm-hmm hope that organizations like yours would look into to get these resources to the hands of those that need it, especially people of my generation that might not even have a clue because we are busy reading some Western materials. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings us on to another subject that you raised, and that is that the, um, the influential authors on millennial hmm. African Christians were almost all uh, Westerners. Now, I I would argue, given that Africa is the continent with the most Christians, and as you've said, a young population, the future of the church worldwide is in Africa. I'd argue that all of us should be reading African authors. And yet yet, um, young African Christians are reading Westerners. What do you think can be done to address this? Mm. To, to, to address it is first to identify what's, what's causing that um, the, the, the skewed or the imbalance in, in, this, um, in this sense I think that and this is me just speaking as a millennial myself as yeah. someone that attempted to publish um, a few books both in Nigeria and now that I'm in the UK um, on the one hand there is the issue of quality of published materials yeah. Especially, I know things are getting better now, but some 10, 20 years ago, it's, it's often that the case would be that if you go into a Christian bookshop and you want to buy a book, you see all the Western authored books looking yeah. in terms of the way they are published and the packaging and everything. And then maybe you move over to some supposed renowned Nigerian authors section and you don't even like <laughs> right yeah. from the let alone the content. There's already a kind of dissonance because mm-hmm. I mean, who wants quality materials? And so there is there is that part as small yeah. as that. Be. Mm-hmm. But besides that, uh, especially when we get into the academia, the fact remains that many Africans are not writing or publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, in lots of researches that that have been done both in the diaspora and on the continent that just end up in a library or in some office locked up and that's the end of it. Uh, so we actually need to start writing, start publishing, yeah. start doing that. Part of what I've been, by God's grace, I'm hoping to be more intentional about is I've seen this gap of 
I want resources that can speak to me mm-hmm. as a young person that is a Christian and an African, but I'm not exactly finding them. At least yeah. the one and speak my language, if you get what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so I'm beginning to plug in that gap by contributing my own quota and mm-hmm. in books and trying to come across as African as I can. Yeah. Um, and like that. So the kind of resources I would have loved to engage with, I'm not seeing. I'm intentional about wanting to begin to make that contribution myself. The same thing with the podcast space. I listen to podcast a lot. Same thing with my wife. But it's occurred to us like over a year ago that we don't exactly have any of these podcast <laughs> platforms yeah. that we're listening in from that speaks to our realities as a Christian and an African and a young person. Mm-hmm. And so we start something in that regard. And both of us together started Omolu Abi Podcast, which is just where we take one Yoruba proverb at a time and unpack it from a biblical perspective. Yeah. Just to make the young listeners know that there is this vast resource of godly wisdom that is locked up in our everyday sayings and that are not in any way contradictory <laughs> to the scriptures in that sense. So uh, that's a resource we thought we would have loved to engage with, but now we are beginning to plug in that space. So yeah, that's that's where to start from. Let's start filling the gaps um, wherever we recognize them and by the graces and gifts that God has given each and every one of us. And then let's leverage on platforms and resources, publishing firms now that are pro-African in a sense, that yeah. are in about publishing books by Africans for African, for the African market space, mm-hmm. like NP in, in, in um, Kenya, um, and so many other publishers like that. Let's leverage such platforms and resources to mm-hmm. gap. Well, <laughs> I will link to your page on Amazon and also to your podcast. Um, because as I say, I don't think it's just young African Christians who need to be learning from Africans, but um, Westerners do too. Um, we all need each other. Absolutely. Um, and just apart from your own um, attempts to, to plug that gap, who are some African authors that you would really recommend, people who've blessed you? Um, especially in my just concluded master's degree. Um, I've had to wrestle a lot with the works of Mbiti, John S. Mbiti, mm-hmm. um, Diako, um, and um, Agbon Orobato. Those three have influenced and kind of further awakened my desire to engage in the, in the research in and of itself. Um, but in the general Christian ministry space, if you mm-hmm. will, um, I, I, I love books that are written by Reverend Olushola Areogo. It's based yeah. somewhere in Togo in the southwest of Nigeria as well. Mm-hmm. And the likes of um, Daddy Gio, as is popularly known, Pastor Adeboye of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. Um, yeah, I think those, those would be some five-ish academic and non-academic yeah. uh, that I know that I've gleaned from their resources extensively. Yeah. Again, I'll, I'll provide some links so that people can research into that. All right. Pastor Joseph, thank you very, very much. It's been thank you, fascinating to, to listen and to learn from you. But um, just before we go, there are a few questions I like to ask everyone. But All right. <laughs> the, the first is that if you had two minutes to speak to the leadership of the evangelical church in the uk the british church 
what would you wish to say to them? Hmm. That's that's a very interesting question and one that I should have taken 20 years to think about before the two minutes. (laughs) 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 But of course, um, there is this need for learning, unlearning, and relearning Mm for us. Um, That's, I mean, when you say that leaders of the church in the UK, I would imagine that involves both the British um, indigenous leaders and, of course, even the migrants, the leaders of the Mm -hmm. congregation. And from both sides of the divide, so to speak, and there shouldn't be a divide, but from both sides of that <laughs> line, um, we need to unlearn some things. We need to relearn some things. Um, there is a proverb uh, where I come from uh, that says, um, I would say it in English, basically, just to kind of paraphrase it, that when a stranger insists on staying for five days, even after the host has made it clear that they are in hunger, they are suffering, they don't have enough. And yet as a stranger, you insist on staying for five days. There must be something about such a stranger. It's either the stranger has something to ameliorate the hunger or the poverty, as the case may be, or that that stranger is totally insensitive. Basically, I'm bringing that in from the perspective of the fact that migrant churches in the UK is a reality that has come to come to stay. Yeah, absolutely. And they are coming and growing in the same space and context in which many indigenous churches are dying of. Mm-hmm. It's it's like saying the host are in hunger, they are in poverty, like that yeah. proverb allude but these strangers that are insisting on staying not just for five days but for five <laughs> days and, and counting um it's it's probably because god has deposited something in us that can help to ameliorate that hunger that poverty that mm-hmm. can slow down that decline that can bring some sort of vitality but of course again there are proverbs where i come from that would one the stranger to know that whenever you are in a new territory, you need to tread gently. You need to tread yeah. carefully. You need to take your time to learn, to unlearn, and to relearn before you begin to engage in certain ways. So we need those kind of cross-cultural learning, which will come by listening to one another mm-hmm. and just being intentionally about making friends with one another and then building God's kingdom together. So that would be, maybe I've spoken for more than two minutes. <laughs> That's about what I'm saying, two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we weren't timing it. It's okay. <laughs> and, and then um, just to get to know a little bit more about you as, as a person, could you tell us your favorite piece of music? If you want to choose a piece of Christian music and piece of secular music, I'll let you have two. But... <laughs> Thank you. Um, my favorite piece of Christian music would be anything that is done by Tope Alabi and that might be a name that many of your listeners would be hearing for the first time yeah. but she's a Nigerian um, Yoruba woman that is a Christian gospel singer that's the mm-hmm. title then go, be, go by or job description gospel singers um, but she's the best I've seen so far in taking the indigenous language of the Yorubas and a Christian faith as a Pentecostal Christian and articulating 
the worship of God in songs in a way that is ever so brilliant. And, and so I love anything that she does. From a secular point of view... Can, can, can you find some of her work on YouTube? Absolutely. Lots of her works on okay. YouTube. And with millions of views. So she's actually popular within our own circle, of course. Excellent. Uh, I'll, I'll put some links yeah. to her music. All right. <laughs> um, but from the secular point of view, it would be King Sonia Day. <laughs> okay, yeah. a legendary um, musician in Nigeria, but yeah. not from ten cents. Just the brilliance and... And yeah, because my dad also, I grew up listening to his music because my dad listens to yeah. him. Um, so yeah, those would be two music uh, musicians or music figures that I still go back to once in a while. Yeah. Excellent. And then favorite book. And again, if you need two, you can have two. I think my favorite book, I would just stick with one. And this time is actually not an African. <laughs> it, um, it still moves stones by Max Lucado. And that's probably yeah. just because Lucado is my favorite author. Um, I think he influenced the way I write more than any other writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and It Still Moves Stones was the book that introduced me to him. And so ever since I read that, I've read almost any other thing that he has written in terms of published books. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I love anything from Max Lucido. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Pastor Joseph, thank you very, very much. Um, it's yeah, been yeah. an encouragement to talk to you and I, your research is fascinating and I'm very grateful that you've done it and that you've been willing to share it. Thank you, Eddie. Thanks for giving me the opportunity and the platform to also give expression to some of these things on a different platform and and broadening the reach of it. Thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome. The Lord bless you. Amen. I need to. Thank you for listening. Hope that you found this both interesting and informative. If you'd like more content like this, you can find it at our blog, www.kuya.net, or on our YouTube channel, KuyaNet. If you'd like to support this work, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Kuyanet. The music is Adding the Sun by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com and it's licensed on a Creative Commons 3.0.